Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Today we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to, to 20. And in this narrative that we are about to read, uh, Luke is continuing to describe the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. And we are going to read of the angelic announcement of the birth of Jesus to shepherds who were abiding in the field. And the proclamation of the gospel to these same shepherds revealing the identity of the child that is to be born. Actually, verses 8 to 14 that we are about to read, with the exception of verse 12, make part of the text of Handel's Messiah. To be more specific, it is part of scene 5 in Handel's Messiah that we just experienced last week. And scene 5 in Handel's Messiah is titled, The Christmas Story. The Christmas Story. A story that we're all familiar with it. A story that perhaps... For many of us, we have heard it since our early childhood until now. The birth narrative of Jesus is a story that we read every Christmas. It's a passage that we have heard it many times before. And the Christmas story is the story of God's intervention in the history of redemption to send his son, to send the Messiah, to send the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the world. And the danger can be that in these familiar stories, not only in the birth narratives, but other stories in the Bible, these stories that we are all so familiar with it can fail to wow us, can fail to cause joy and produce joy and, and wonder and amazement. So my prayer this morning is that may we never forget the true meaning of Christmas, that during this season, every day as we rise and as we awake and as we get together with our families and we celebrate, let us remember and meditate always upon the profound truths of the Christmas story so that our hearts may be filled with hope, with adoration, with wonder and amazement at the grace that we have in Christ. So here now God's Holy, inerrant word, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swelling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, 
they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. May he imprint these truths upon our hearts. So we're just going to walk through this passage together. So looking at first uh, verse 8 and the beginning of verse 9, it says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. So in the same region means the same region of Judea, maybe around Jerusalem and in Bethlehem where Jesus was born. In the same region, we have an angel. And the word angel means a messenger. And he's bringing this message to the shepherds. He's appearing to the shepherds. And this is significant because here we have an angel of the Lord bringing about the greatest message that the world has ever heard, the good news, the good news of great joy, as we read in the Catechism, that the only Redeemer of God's elect, the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God, was born of a woman, became man by taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul, being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and born of her, yet without sin. Jesus, being the eternal Son of God, was born of Mary. And we read actually in verse 7 of Luke chapter 2, And she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. The good news of great joy that Christ, being the eternal Son of God, the Word who became flesh, was wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. This great news was first announced to shepherds. So what is the significance of the shepherds being the first to hear the great news of great joy of Jesus' birth? That's a great question, and I'm glad you asked. Because shepherds in Israel at this time, they were located actually at the bottom of the scale of power and privilege. These were not patriarchs. These were not prophets. These were not kings. These were not rulers, but simple men going about their business, abiding in the field, tending their sheep. Listen to these words of Philip Graham Riken. He says, we tend to romanticize the shepherds, especially since there are so many good shepherds in the Bible. Moses was a shepherd. King David was a shepherd but they did not enjoy a very good reputation in their day. Because they lived out in the fields, they were unable to keep the ceremonial law, and thus they were treated as unclean. They were also regarded as liars and thieves, which is why their testimony was inadmissible in a court of law. Shepherds were despised. With the exception of lepers, they were the lowest class of men in Israel. Now, hear what happens next because it is truly remarkable. In verse 9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, to these shepherds, to these men who are despised and outcasts. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. 
the glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds. And the glory of the Lord, this phrase is often used to denote the majestic, the splendorous, the glorious presence of God among his people. The presence of the Lord God. And when scripture speaks of the glory of the Lord filling the temple, not only it denotes his splendor, his majesty, and this word glory means its weightiness, his weightiness, but also his presence among the people. The glory of the Lord that shone on Mount Sinai, the glory of the Lord that filled the temple in Jerusalem, that same majestic, splendorous, glorious presence is now appearing to despised, outcasts, simple men, working class sinners. So what is the significance of the glory of the Lord shining around the shepherds and the shepherds being the first recipients of the greatest news that we have ever heard? That's another great question, and I'm glad you asked. So Philip Graham Riken, he says, yet these, the shepherds, were the men God wanted to hear the gospel, working class sinners. Like everything else about the birth of Christ, this upsets our expectations. We tend to think that God is for the good people, when in fact he's for needy sinners who are desperate for grace. And I'm not sure if you had a chance to be here over uh, Handel's Messiah, the three days. It was a, it was a glorious uh, presentation of the gospel, the, the preaching and the singing of the gospel. But Pastor Richard, each day he, be, he, he gave a, a short message. And he began the message asking a question. How good is good enough? How good is good enough? When do we know that we have done enough to earn God's favor? When do we know we have done enough to earn our way into heaven? And the truth is that we can't. That it is impossible. There's no amount of good works that you can do to earn God's favor. There's no amount of good works that we can do to earn our way into heaven because God requires perfection. And if God requires perfection, we're all doomed. We're all hopeless and helpless. And the message we all need to hear is the message that the angel is announcing to the shepherds. The angel is bringing the good news of Christmas. He's bringing the message of the true meaning of Christmas, the true joy of Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. Listen to the message of the angel in verses 10 and 11. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Fear not, the shepherds were filled with great fear. But fear not, for I'm bringing good news. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. We, we read in verse 10. And good news here is the Greek word for the gospel. And this word means to communicate good news concerning something. To announce glad tidings. In this specific case, is to communicate and announce the good news of the birth of this child. The good news of the coming of the Messiah. But the word broadly 
Good news, the gospel, means the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only the good news of his birth, but the good news of his death, the good news of his resurrection on the third day. It is the words of proclaiming the gospel. It is proclaiming the message of salvation. It is proclaiming Christ, his birth, his perfect life of obedience, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his sending of the Holy Spirit, the promise that one day he's going to come back again. That is all good news. That's all great news for those who are in Christ, for those who belong to Christ. But not only the birth of Christ is good news, we've read it. The cross is good news. The crucifixion is good news. The death of Christ is good news. The resurrection is good news. The message of the gospel, the entire message of the gospel is great news. Listen to again in verse 10. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So the great fear of the shepherds is now replaced with great joy. The real joy of Christmas that Christ was coming into the world. But maybe during this time of Christmas, maybe this year has been hard for many of us. Maybe we're experiencing pain, or we have been experiencing pain and griefs and anxiety and loneliness. For many of us, if not for all of us here, it has been a long and hard year filled with trials and tribulations. But regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what is going on in your life right now, listen to these words of John Calvin. By calling it great joy, he shows us not only that we ought, above all things, to rejoice in the salvation brought us by Christ, but that this blessing is so great and boundless as fully to compensate for all the pains, distresses, and anxieties of the present life. Let us learn to be so delighted with Christ alone that the perception of his grace may overcome and at length remove from us all the distresses of the flesh. It is good news of great joy, a blessing so great and boundless, so great and boundless. We can always rejoice in the salvation that we have in Christ, regardless of our circumstances. We can always rejoice that we belong, whether in life or in death, to our Savior. This is good news of great joy. But the angel goes on to say why this is such good news. What is the long-awaited promise in the history of redemption that is being fulfilled? Listen to verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Philip Graben, Habrakin, again, is helpful. The joyful good news about the birth of a baby, for unto you is born this day. By the time we get to the end of Luke, we will discover that the good news also includes a death and a resurrection. It is the gospel of the cross and the empty tomb. But here we are given the good news of the manger. A child is born. A son is given. The angel is making a birth announcement about a boy of flesh and blood. 
For unto you, verse 11, we read, is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The long-awaited Messiah that the prophets were inquiring in the Scriptures, when would the Messiah come and appear? The time had come. And this was great news. But pay close attention to the beginning of the message of good news from the angel. The beginning of verse 11 says, For unto you. Unto you. Unto whom? For unto you, shepherds. The angel is speaking to the shepherds. But we are poor shepherds. We are, we are despised by our own people. We are ceremonially unclean. We cannot even go to the temple. Unto me, yes, unto you. Do you believe this good news? Do you believe it that unto you, that God the Father sent Christ, his one and only son, to die for you, to be your savior? Do you believe this good news of great joy? He goes on to say, for unto you is born this day in the city of David. Now, actually, in the Gospel of Luke, this is the sixth time that we hear of the mention of David's name. And the Old Testament predicted that, that one day a messianic king would arise to reestablish the Davidic dynasty. Actually, in our call to worship today, uh, we read from Mark 11, Behold, the coming kingdom of our father David. The coming kingdom of our father uh, David. And the good news is that Christ, in the scriptures, he is the promised Messiah who is going to come from the lineage of David. He's the promised seed of David that we find in God's covenant with him in 2 Samuel 7. The child was David's royal son. And one of the titles in the scriptures is that Jesus Christ, he is the son of David, the one who would rule forever over the kingdom of God. So after affirming that this child will be born in the city of David, Bethlehem, that he was a descendant of David, Luke goes on to describe the identity of this child. Who is this baby that you're going to find wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger? What is his identity? What did he come to do? For unto you, verse 11 again, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus is the Savior. His name actually means the Lord saves. He will save his people from their sins. The Son of Man, who is the Savior, who came to seek and to save those who are lost, and a Savior is a deliverer. A Savior is someone who rescues people from death. A Savior is someone who rescues people from destruction. And sin causes death and destruction. Sin causes separation and alienation from God. Sin causes us to be at war with God. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Jesus came to pay the penalty of our sins. He came to live the perfect life of obedience that the first Adam failed to live. The perfect life of obedience that we failed to live. And he died for our sins. And he rose, us again, he rose again from the dead on the third day to give us everlasting life. But not only he's the Savior, he's Christ the Lord. And Christ is the Greek word of the Hebrew Messiah, which means the anointed one. And to be anointed means that God was setting you apart for office and for a specific mission in life. 
We see the Old Testament priests and, and kings being, being anointed, being set apart for a specific office and working life. Philip Graham writing, he says, God had always promised that one day he would send a savior. The Jews had been waiting for this for centuries, but now the angel proclaimed that the Savior had come, making the great confession that Jesus is the Christ. He is Christ the Lord. Not only is the Messiah, he's Christ the Lord. And this title points to his deity. Jesus is the Lord God, the second person of the divine trinity. By this time in his gospel, Luke has already used the term Lord more than a dozen times in Luke 1 up until here. All these dozen times is referred to the Lord as the Lord God, God the Father. Now the title Lord is being used to refer to this child that had been born. So why are the titles Savior and Christ and Lord so important? I mean, that's another great question. Keep asking these questions. This is fantastic. Because it reveals the identity of the child that was to be born. Listen to these words of the prophet Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I'm not going to sing it. It's my favorite part in Hannah's Messiah. I'm not going to sing it. But look at these magnificent titles. Look at these astonishingly glorious titles given to this child that is going to be born. To this newborn baby. He's just not another baby. He's the eternal Son of God, the second person of the divine trinity. But where are the shepherds to find this baby? The angel goes on to say in verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, for sure, there were other babies born at the time, but to find one baby that had been born lying in a manger a feeding trough for animals would be extremely small. The probability of that would be extremely small. This would function as a sign for the shepherds to identify the baby. So after giving the sign to the shepherds, look at what happens next in verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He's pleased. Now imagine this scene. It's not only one angel. Now we have a multitude of angels, the heavenly hosts, coming and announcing and, and singing to God. What a breathtaking and remarkable scene. The glory of the Lord filling the skies around Jerusalem. And these angels are praising God because of the birth of this child, because of the birth of the Savior. These angels are praising this child who is the Christ, who is the Lord of all. Listen to Hebrews 1, verse 6. And again, when he, God the Father, brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Let all God's angels glorify him and sing glory to God. 
And the angels are celebrating the coming of Jesus, celebrating the incarnation, celebrating the first Christmas. God was highly glorified in sending his son to be our savior in the incarnation, in Jesus' life of perfect obedience, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in his sending of the Holy Spirit. God is highly glorified in everything that God does, in all of his attributes. He is highly glorified. So this angelic choir is singing. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now there is some debate with respect to the translation of this uh, verse. What kind of a peace are we talking about it here? So some translations read peace and goodwill among men. Peace and goodwill toward men. Now, this can imply that the peace of God rests on people of goodwill. This might imply that those who are well disposed, those whose goodwill deserve it, have peace with God. So it can be understood as a divine peace that is being bestowed on people of goodwill, a peace that is available to all who have goodwill. But this is not the correct understanding of this verse. A better understanding of this verse, that this is not talking about a peace for those who deserve it. This is about the unmerited grace of God. Uh, the unmerited grace and favor, favor of God, who brings salvation to those with whom he is pleased. There's an emphasis on God and not man. It's talking about those whom God chooses. Those who are the elect. And only if you are in Christ, only if you belong to Christ, only if you're united to Christ by faith, you can have peace with God. You can have peace with God. This is the peace that we're talking about here. Peace with God. Now, why do we need peace with God? Because of our sins. Because of our sins. We are at war with God. We are God's enemies. And let me tell you something and give you a disclaimer. You're not going to win this war. You're not going to win this war. But there's good news. There is indeed great news of great joy for all the people. That Jesus Christ, by his death on the cross, by the shedding of his blood, by being the perfect, perfect sacrifice, he satisfied, he propitiated the wrath of God, the wrath of God against sin. And he has purchased for us that peace to the elect, to all who repent of their sins and trust in Christ alone for their salvation. Listen to this words from the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1, 1, verses 19 and 20. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, through Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the only way to be reconciled to God. This is the only way to have peace with God. This is the only way to have a ceasefire, is to have 
peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What an incredible message from the angels to the shepherds. What an incredible message to us. Talk about great news. Listen to these words of J.C. Ryle. The spiritual darkness which had covered the earth was about to be rolled away. The way to pardon and peace with God was about to be thrown open to all mankind. The head of Satan was about to be bruised. Liberty was about to be proclaimed to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. The mighty truth was about to be proclaimed that God could be just and yet, for Christ's sake, justify the ungodly, undeserving sinners. If this was not good tidings, there were never tidings that deserved the name. This is indeed good tidings. This is the good news of great joy announced by the angel. I mean, think about the joy that this season of Christmas brings. Do you look forward to this time of the year? Maybe you can get a, a break off from, from work and rest and be with the family. Maybe you have family coming in in town and you're reuniting with the family. And you're excited about the gifts and everything that you, you're going to receive and spend time with the family. Think about all the, the joy that this season brings, that can bring to our lives. I mean, these are all great things and I look forward to them I know just as much as you do. These are all great things, and they all bring great joy. And listen again to these words of John Calvin. These words show us first that until men have peace with God and are reconciled to him through the grace of Christ, all the joy that they experience is deceitful and of short duration. Short duration. That peace that maybe you're looking for, that joy that you so much desire, if you're not reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, is a joy and a peace of short duration. And I had that. I, I became a believer when I was in my mid-20s, when I came to faith. And I had joy and I had peace, but I can tell you, it was short duration. It would come and go. It would come and go. But when we have peace with God, when we have been reconciled to God, the joy that the gospel brings, the peace that the gospel brings, the joy of being reconciled to God, the joy of having peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the scripture says that it is an everlasting joy. It's a joy that no one can take that away from you. It's an everlasting joy. It's an everlasting peace. It's not a joy of short duration. It's not only ceasefire just for a moment. It's an everlasting joy, everlasting peace. So how did the shepherds respond to this birth announcement? How did the shepherds respond to the good news of great joy? Let's read verses 15 to 20. So when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the thing that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it 
wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The shepherds, we read here, immediately they went to Bethlehem and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they started telling and making known the thing that had been revealed to them by the angel concerning the child. Listen to these words of R.C. Sproul. The shepherds became the first evangelists of the Christian church. Despised men, outcast men. Their testimony, remember, although worthless, in the law courts of the day, was valued by God. He entrusted to them the first human proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now here's the key. They heard the gospel. They came to Christ. They saw. They believed. And they proclaimed. How are you going to respond to this good news of great joy. The shepherds, they heard the gospel. They came to Christ. They saw. They believed. They proclaimed. If this is the first time you have heard this message, inquire into the truth of the tidings that you have just heard. Read the birth narratives of Jesus on your own. Read the gospels. Pick up a copy of the Bible and read the gospel for yourselves. Go to the Bible and inquire into these truths. But for us who know these things, who believe in these things, like Mary, she heard all these truths and she treasured up all these things in her heart, pondering them in her heart. The word to ponder means to consider, to think deeply about to meditate on, to always think about, to continue to think about, to often think about. And as Christians, we are called to deeply think about these things, the incarnation, Jesus' life of perfect obedience, his death, his resurrection, the great foundations of the Christian faith. We are to treasure them. As we read it and as we listen to it being preached, that the joy that the Lord can produce in our hearts of this great salvation that we have, that we belong to Christ, that we have heard the gospel, we have come to Christ, we have seen it, we have believing it, and we are proclaiming it. This is the good news a great joy during this season. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks. There is just so many reasons this morning of why we can be thankful to you. Up until today, you have been faithful to your people. You have been faithful to your church. Father, but during this season, as we meditate on the coming of Christ, of our Lord Jesus Christ into the world, as we think deeply and meditate on these things, we just pray, Lord, that you 
fill us with the joy of the Holy Spirit, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And may we never forget all these great truths of our faith, this great foundational truths of our faith, that Christ came into the world, that he lived the perfect life of obedience, that he died on Calvary, that he rose again on the third day, that he ascended into heaven, that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for his people and the promise that one day he will come back again. May we be filled with the joy of the hope of the gospel. It's in Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.